So today we're going through again in the book of Matthew, we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. We have been studying this series for the last few months now, and we're in the series called The Beatitudes, where Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible with you, I would like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read through the entire passage of the Beatitudes from verse 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And it says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. As found in the word of prayer. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. As we just have heard, songs sang by kids and teenagers and this play put on lord by various people here in our church serving you lord and just praising you and just hearing the gospel and and to know lord that this is what it is all about this is about believing in jesus it's about coming to christ and receiving salvation having our sins forgiven and having eternal life and certainly this is a passage which is dictating this is what passage is dictating to us today is that we will have eternal life in Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that we would indeed pay attention and, and believe every word that Jesus would have us to hear today, that we will believe unto him and and therefore inherit eternal life as he called us to inherit. We thank you, Lord, for this passage. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, help us to see what is in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes a disagreement, a simple disagreement about who Jesus is can ruin a friendship. It can. I remember at the time I was going to college at UCLA, that is at grad school, I made a friend who was Jewish. I worked with this friend for many years now and he's Jewish, he doesn't believe in Jesus. And for me, I was going to Bible study at the time. I believed in God and God was doing a tremendous work in my life changing me, transforming me to be more like him. I was so thankful to the Lord. I was telling everybody about Jesus. I was going around the lab whenever I have an opportunity to tell people, the lab technicians at grad school at UCLA, all about Jesus. And whenever I tell people about Jesus, this friend of mine, this Jewish friend of mine, he will always avoid the conversation. Didn't want to hear about it. Just walk away. So one time, I just, I just wonder, why is he not like, in this conversation with me? So one time, I took a step of faith, who was just me and him in the lab, and I took a step of faith, I approached him. I said, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Just, you know, straight up. 
And you know what his response was? He yelled back at me and said, Don't talk to me about him. Don't talk to me about Jesus. You keep your religion to yourself, and I keep mine to myself. I walked away from that conversation feeling really sad. Why are people responding with such animosity to Jesus? Jesus is beautiful. He does a tremendous work in my life. I believe that he is he resurrected. He's here in my life. He lives in my heart. I love him. I want everyone to know about him. And certainly he is the peace that I have in my heart. I want people to have peace with Jesus. However, what I received was animosity in return. We want them to know about Christ and the peace that we bring, he brings to us. However, there was no peace in the conversation when I tell people about him. Many of us can relate to this when we tell other people about Jesus. They don't want to hear anything about him. And certainly with us setting up here in front of our church, if you don't know, every Wednesday, every Friday, we set up in front of our church to tell people about Jesus, to pray for people. And many times people come up to us, they give us the finger, they drive by, they yell at us. People come up to us, they have want to debate with us, or argue with us, they call us prideful. We're telling people about Jesus. But our simple desire is that they would just simply come to know Him. I prayed about this and I realized that throughout the years, why people experience or why people respond with such animosity in their life. Believing Jesus Christ must mean that they must follow Him. See, they can't just believe unto Him, they must respond with their life. And most people desire not to change the way which they live. They want to continue to live the way which they've been living all their life. Believing Jesus Christ must mean that they would repent of the things that He said are wrong and live in a way which He calls them to live. And most people are averse to that idea of confessing and repenting. Believing Jesus also carries costs as well. For my Jewish friend, that would mean that he will be, if he believed in Jesus, he would be ostracized from his family. He would not be accepted by his family members anymore because his family is Jewish. So, given the fact that there are several obstacles to believing in Jesus, it is simply easier to just stick your head into the sand and not hear the conversation. In fear of if you heard something that is true, that you're convicted of, that you must now act and you don't want to do that. You don't want to change. You don't want to have your life changed for Christ. You want to live the way which you are living. However, doing that exists, there exists one problem. Without trusting, without believing in Jesus Christ, one thing remains. Your sin remains. Without Jesus dying for you and without Jesus paying for the penalty of your sin, your sin remains. And with your sin not paid for, and the holy God who created us to be holy and just, himself who is holy and just, he must judge sin. And us being sinners, our sin still remaining in us, we are standing in judgment of God. We are in danger of God's eternal judgment in hell. However, Jesus today is calling each one of us not to hide our head into the sand anymore, not to stick our head in the sand, but to believe, but to hear what he has to offer and to believe unto him. Jesus himself came to earth and he died on the cross for our sins. He came to earth, lived a perfect life. However, his perfect life was not lived for himself. Did not live, need to do that for himself. He was God. Did not need to come to earth. It was not his prerogative to do this for himself, but rather he did it for us. There's no need for him to do it. 
for himself. And he died on the cross for our sins. He lived perfectly and certainly that was not for himself either. He paid for the penalty of our sins. He died for our sins. He gave us his righteousness. And after he died, he then resurrected three days later to show us that those of us who believe unto him will also resurrect with him. You see, he took this journey for you and for me. He was forever God. He did not need to do this. But he came to earth, took the journey to the cross, and resurrected the third day to show us that those of us who hold onto sin in our lives, if we believe unto him, our sins will be forgiven and therefore we will also be resurrected with him and live with him in his eternal kingdom. That's what he desires for us. He loves us in that way. He came so that we may be with him. So today, in this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, God's teaching us or leading us to believe unto him so that we may enter into his eternal kingdom. God wants us to live with him. And certainly here in the book of Matthew, it details this teaching. Jesus here shows us in the Beatitudes the characteristics of the life of man and woman who believe unto him. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 through 12, we're going to enter into the last portion of the Beatitudes where Jesus again speaks on this topic of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. Now, most people in this world, many of these people in this world, are not going to believe in Jesus. And many of you here today don't believe in Jesus. Even though you know that Jesus is beautiful, you don't really care to have him in your life. Understand that. And so you do stick your head into the sand when the gospel is presented to you. You don't want the truth. However, today you are still in danger of God's judgment no matter what you think. But if you do change your mind today, if you do change your mind and you do believe in the gospel, you do humble yourself and believe unto him, God is going to save you. He's going to give you himself. It's a beautiful thing to have Jesus in your life. Trust me, I'm there. And many of you who are here believing in Jesus can testify to that. It is good to be saved. It is good to have eternal life. It is good to have Jesus in your life. Believe in that. God, here in the scripture, forever been calling you and me to come to him. The scripture is written for thousands of years so that men and women can come to him. And he's calling you today here in year 2020 so that you may enter into eternal life with him. God's calling you to enter into his kingdom. And from here in this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 through 12, what we're going to see is the first characteristic in verse 9 is this. Those people who come to Jesus and belong to the kingdom of God is going to bring about peace into this world. Those people who come to Jesus and belong to the kingdom of God is going to bring about peace to this world. Verse 9 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, before that, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the the sons of God. Now you see, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he is preaching the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount, teaching the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of God. And last week, what we studied was that those who belong to the kingdom of God are pure in heart. They're pure in heart in the sense that they want Jesus above everything else. And today, what we're going to see, after being pure in heart, those people who belong to the kingdom of God, they are peacemakers. They are those who bring about peace to this world. If we take a look at Jesus' time and what Jesus is going through at his time in Israel, we know that Israel at the time was experiencing anything but peace. If you know the location and the time of Israel, you know that Israel sits at a fertile crescent. 
That little strip of land connects Europe, Africa, and Middle East. And that little strip of land is where all the worldly kingdoms collide throughout all the years, thousands of years. If you desire to take the land or desire to conquer Europe, you desire to conquer Africa, if you desire to conquer Middle East, you must first conquer that fertile crescent. And Israel sits in the middle of the fertile crescent, so throughout their entire history, they were conquered by many empires. They were conquered by the Syrians, they were conquered by the Babylonians, they were conquered by the Persians and the Medes, they were conquered by the Greeks, and finally here, they're conquered by the Romans. And every time the major world empire swept through, they were forced to serve under that empire. Now, peace is aspired by many people, including the Israelites. The Jews, they want peace, and we all want peace. Everybody wants peace in this world. We don't want war, right? We don't want war, we want peace. But the most logical way for peace to happen is this, is to become a powerful nation so no one will mess with you, right? That's why America is peaceful, at least inside this, this country. We are so powerful that nobody dares to mess with us. That is the way to approach peace. That is in the human logic, that is. And certainly Israel itself experienced that kind of peace during Israel's um, king, kingly times, during David, David, David's time and Solomon's time. In David's kingdom and Solomon's kingdom, Israel was so powerful that nobody dared to mess with Israel. All the nations would bring tributes to Israel. Israel was able to provide peace to its citizens. Therefore, when Jesus came into the scene here in Matthew chapter 5, and also in the beginning of Matthew, he came promising a kingdom the Jews felt really, really excited. They did. Wow! A kingdom? A physical kingdom. Oh, in order for you, Jesus, to establish a physical kingdom here on earth, what you must do, logically, is to overthrow the current kingdom that is ruling over the Israelites, right? That is the Romans. The Romans must be overthrown in order for Jesus to bring about this kingdom which he is promising. He must overthrow the Romans. Now seeing what Jesus did, he was able to carry out miracles, heal, and provide food. It seemed obvious that Jesus can do this. They read all the stories about Moses. Moses a prophet. He was able to raise his staff and all the ten plagues and hail and storms just comes down upon the Egyptians. They were forced to let the Israelites go. They thought, you know what, Jesus, we can do the same. Certainly, you can bring the promised land back to us and drive the Romans out of here so that we don't have to pay them taxes anymore. We don't have to serve under them anymore. However, given all that one problem still exists, as Jesus began teaching the Beatitudes, it felt like Jesus was teaching a different kind of peace. It was a different kind of peace that Jesus was teaching. Jesus was not teaching of a peace that one would have so that you would become so powerful that nobody dares to mess with you. He wasn't teaching that kind of peace. Jesus was teaching a better peace, an eternal peace, a peace that comes from knowing that you are right with God. He preached this peace so that man and woman can come to God and enter into that eternal kingdom. They may have peace with God and be in His kingdom where then there is that physical peace. However, in order for them to enter into that physical peace in that eternal kingdom, they must have peace with God first. Now the problem exists for each one of us before we come to know Jesus and for many of us here today is that we don't have peace with God. We don't. We don't have peace with God because we don't know God and our sin remains. God is holy and He cannot tolerate sin. So therefore we know that we're not right with God. 
And Paul made this clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Speaking of each one of us, he says this, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, and the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. We are all disobeying God. Before we know Jesus, we are all disobeying God. Certainly that is your life and that is my life before I came to know Jesus before we came to know Christ. So in order to bring solution to the problem and bring about peace to this world, that is by first bringing peace with God, Jesus began verse 3. Here in the Beatitudes, and do a quick review, he says this in the beginning of Beatitudes. First, you must become poor in spirit. You must become poor in spirit. You must recognize that you have nothing to offer before God. In offering nothing before God, you recognize that you're a sinner before God, so therefore you then mourn over your sins. In verse 4, you mourn over your sins. You're crying out to God for grace and mercy. And as you mourn over your sins, you're going to live your life in meekness. You're not going to be proud and arrogant because you're mourning. You're sad over your sins. You're not proud and arrogant. You're mourning. You're meek before God. And as your meekness is in display, you're then seeking, you're thirsting, hungering for God's righteousness. You want more of God's righteousness in your life. And because you want God's righteousness, you then begin to display mercy in your life because you realize that you have been given mercy. And you want God's purity. You begin to want more and more purity in your life. And finally, that's going to result in peacemaking. You're going to want to have peace with God. And you do have peace with God through Jesus, but not only so, you want others to have peace with God. And therefore, you come to the Beatitudes, Beatitude that you're a peacemaker. You see, being a peacemaker means not just that you are creating some kind of artificial peace in this world, some kind of truce, some kind of compromise between people, some kind of peacemaking between unbelievers. True peacemaking is when you are able to bring someone to God and help them make peace with God. You see, we want others to have peace with God. After knowing that we have peace with God, we desire for them to know God and be restored unto Him. And certainly this is why in verse 8 Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now peace. Peace is something that we all seek after in this world, do we not? The world wants peace. However, the world wants peace without peace with God. They want some kind of truth, some kind of peace, some kind of working together, but they don't want peace with God. However, the reality is that without peace with God, there is no real peace in this world. And we know this because even as much as we lived at peace ever since World War II, the greatest motivation for peace in this world right now is the threat of mutual destruction. If you didn't know that, it is true. I'll explain this to you. The greatest motivation for peace in this world is the threat of mutual destruction. Ever since the United States dropped two nuclear bombs in Japan, one in Hiroshima, the other one in Nagasaki, in 1945, four years later, the Soviet Union developed their own nuclear warhead. They detonated their own nuclear device. And during the Cold War that followed immediately, the, the arms race between the two countries, United States America grew. They just keep building nuclear warheads, promising retaliation, 
promising massive retaliation if one country decides to drop a nuclear bomb into the other country. So in 1962, President Kennedy decided that he's going to invade Cuba because Cuba became communist. The, the regime was overthrown and Cuba became communist. Soviet Union supported that. President Kennedy also placed missile sites in Turkey pointing at USSR. What happened was that USSR then decided, you know what, we're going to work with Cuba then. We're going to put some missile sites in Cuba pointing at Florida, which is about a few hundred miles away from Florida. And that happened. It scared everybody. He didn't even know. President Kennedy didn't even know. People were like, whoa, what happened? They had missile sites, nuclear warheads pointing straight at us from 200 miles away. What did they do? They, are, they debated. They, 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 they had treaties. They finally realized, you know what? We don't want to do this. We're going to destroy each other. So the United States withdrew the missile sites in Turkey while Russia or USSR withdrew the missile sites in Cuba and both sides decided that they're not going to do this. Ever since then, the number of nuclear warheads in America and Soviet Union only grew. In the United States today, 1,000 nuclear warheads can be activated upon 30-minute notice. 1,000 can shoot anywhere in the world. I don't know about USSR, I expect it to be the same. Between USSR and United States, is over 10,000 nuclear warheads. Now, it only takes 100 to explode the northern hemisphere to completely destroy the Earth. 100. Why do you need 10,000? I have no idea. It's there if you needed it. Not that we're going to be there, but it's there. But I realize this. See, the world makes peace from the threat of mutual destruction. I'm going to completely destroy you if you attack me, so don't even try. That's how it makes peace. That's how we make peace a lot of times, right? With our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. However, it takes only one suicidal dictator that doesn't care, and we know who that might be, that can throw the whole entire balance into chaos. See, our real bad solution, our lack of solution, only shows how wicked our human heart truly is. Jesus Christ, however, took a different path because he knew this is not the path to peace. He sought peace for us by first helping us establish peace with God. We need peace with God first. There is no real peace in this world until there's a peace with God. So therefore, he came to earth. He brought us peace by dying on the cross for our sins. He lived a perfect life for us so that we may have perfect righteousness. Jesus made us holy, pure before God. By paying for our sins, made us peace, made us at peace with God positionally. Our relationship with God is restored. He gives us peace because this is the only route to true peace with God ruling over us, with Him as our King. See, we're not looking to some kind of earthly manufactured peace. All that is going to pass away. We're looking for real peace. And certainly we possess that peace right now in our hearts as we'll wait for that eternal kingdom which Jesus promises and that kingdom is surely going to come. That kingdom is coming as Jesus comes again. That physical reality of where Jesus reigns over all the earth is going, to be, is going to be a reality for each one of us in this world. However, His kingdom is here right now as well. His kingdom exists in our hearts. See, from the peace in our hearts, we have the kingdom of God in our hearts. We have peace in our hearts because the kingdom of God exists in our hearts. We desire others to possess peace with God. 
We desire for others to have their relationship to God restored. So we tell others what it means to have peace with Him. We're peacemakers. We live in the right way with God. We share the gospel with others. We tell, what, we tell others what, is, what it means to live in the right way with God. Not in a moralistic, not in a legalistic kind of way, but truly from a relationship with God. However, as we do so, as we tell others what it means to live with God, and what it means to obey God, what it means to have a relationship with God, many people are not going to listen. That is the truth. Do you ever tell people about Jesus? Do everyone listen? No. You experience that. Many people are not going to listen. Many people are going to tell you what my Jewish friend told me. Don't talk to me about that. Like, I didn't ask you for that. I want to live my life the way I want to live. Don't tell me. You're, 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 uh, you're bothering me. And certainly, as we preach the gospel, we're also going to speak against the evil of this world. This world is evil, and many people operate in evil. And those people who operate in evil are going to hate us as well. So the result of telling others about God and living for Jesus is going to result in persecution. Therefore, persecution as the last portion of Beatitudes come fittingly here in verse 10 and verse 11. As a result of telling other people what it means to live for Jesus, as a result of peacemaking, as a result of helping others make peace with God, we're going to be persecuted. And see this in verse 10 and verse to verse 12. Those who belong to the kingdom of God are going to are going to be persecuted. Read with me now in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus here tells us what's going to happen to us once we start to make peace in this world. When we tell others about Jesus and design for them to have peace with God, we are going to face persecution. Even though this, these verses tell you much about what it means to be persecuted, the message here is actually really, really simple. It's really simple. He repeats it twice here in verse 10 and verse 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when you are persecuted for Jesus' sake. It certainly is repeated for the sake of emphasis. You see, this lands at the end of the Beatitudes. You arrive at this point. Congratulations. You've done all that it means to be blessed. And finally, if you can come to this point where you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're double blessed. You're double blessed. As a result of living in poor in spirit, mourning over sins, meek, seeking after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, you're persecuted. Congratulations. You arrive. You arrive at where Jesus wants you to be. So in verse 10, Jesus calls you persecuted if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now that means that you're persecuted for doing the right thing. Righteousness means that you're persecuted for doing the right thing. You might become persecuted when you start to live for Jesus and people at work, for example, they cut corners. They want to cut corners to save time, to be lazy like everyone else is. Everyone else cut corners, so you don't cut corners. People might think, you know, you're wasting time and they're persecuting you. Say, hey, just do this. 
I can't do it. It's not the right thing to do. No, I want, but, and then they persecute you because then you tell them that they're not doing the right thing. What if you don't take bribes at work or take bribes at wherever you're at? And other, everyone else takes bribes. And certainly the fact that you don't take bribes, the word gets out and people might think that you're going to snitch on them. You're going to betray them because you don't fall into the same kind of corruption that everyone else is. You see, persecution comes when one person does not participate in the sin of the community. That's what happens. Everybody is participating in the sin. Everyone's happy. Why do you got to be the sorry apple? Why? Just do it. Just do what everyone else is doing. It being so much easier. If you don't do it, then we're going to ostracize you. You're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. However, given that sometimes in this world you don't believe in Jesus and you're doing something righteousness or doing some right thing, you're persecuted. For example, even Mormons, Buddhists, or Muslims can be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus now in verse 11 defines the real blessing. It's not just for any kind of righteous work that you're persecuted for. But verse 11, Jesus says, you're blessed if you're persecuted for my sake. If you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're persecuted on account of the name of Jesus. That means that you're blessed when you're persecuted when you tell others about Jesus. You're blessed when you're persecuted when other people know that you're living righteously for Jesus. When you're representing the Jesus Christ himself, the person of Jesus Christ himself, and you're persecuted, you are blessed. So in verse 11, Jesus then tells us what the persecution looks like. In the anger of the persecutors, they can do a few things. First of all, in verse 11, it says they can revile you. They can revile you, and that basically means that they can insult you directly to your face. Just call you names directly at you. Beyond this, they can say all kinds of false accusations against you. This, again, this in verse 11 says that they can say false things about you. This is more indicating they can speak behind your back. They can tear down your reputation. They can discredit you with false rumors. So people don't believe on believing you. And certainly experiencing these persecutions are going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But in verse 12, Jesus tells us to take heart. Be courageous. Because if you're persecuting in such a way, you are blessed, you're double blessed, and great is your reward in heaven. The prophets of God in the Old Testament, they were persecuted also in this way. And if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're certainly fall into great company. Congratulations. You're just like the prophets of old. Your reward is great in heaven. So knowing that we're going to be persecuted in this way, the believer then can walk in courage and embrace persecution as they come. Welcome it as they come. You see, persecution is something that is expected in a Christian's life. Even Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 36. says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be members of his own household. So Jesus here is declaring a very fact that there is no real peace unless it's a peace with God. Do you understand? There is no peace in this world until peace with God is established first. However, in our humanness, in our weakness, 
in our failed representation, representation of Jesus, sometimes we desire for peace with others without representing Jesus in our lives. And we sacrifice our testimony for Christ for some kind of temporal peace with people. And we fail to represent Him. We fail to accurately tell people about Jesus because we don't want to make people angry. You know, these days I'm reading a book to illustrate this. I'm reading a book called Steal Away Home. It's a great story that details an unlikely friendship between an African-American slave in the 1800s and with a great and most famous preacher even today, but back in the 1800s, called Charles Spurgeon. They were friends. Ordinary African-American slave called Thomas Johnson grew up in the plantation in Virginia, just like any other slave, became friend with the most famous preacher of England at the time, Charles Spurgeon. And the way that he knew, and he actually went to England to go to his school, but the way they knew each other is by this. Thomas Johnson was led by his master to the marketplace, where there's a big bonfire going. Big bonfire. What were they doing? They were burning the books of Spurgeon. They were burning the articles and sermons of Spurgeon. The reason why they were burning his books and articles is because Spurgeon actually spoke out against slavery in the 1800s, which was a popular thing in America in the South back then. He spoke against it. He didn't care. He said, this is wrong. You guys are doing the wrong thing. Thomas Johnson was so surprised. As an African-American slave, he just simply accepted it as a way of life for him. God placed me here. I guess I'm just going to be a slave. But when he saw that, he saw, wow, there's another preacher a Caucasian preacher who preaches against slavery? What's going on around here? He never saw anybody who did that in the South. Most pastors never spoke against slavery. They just kind of avoided conversation because it was an unpopular thing to be speaking about. They want peace with other people, but they realized that they want peace with other people, but they were afraid to speak the truth. They didn't want to be unpopular with people. They want to be popular. So therefore, they did not fairly represent him. Many of the pastors in the South back then did not fairly represent God. And certainly, this applies to us today as well. In our relationships, in our friendships, in our family members, are we fairly representing God or are we shying away from preaching the gospel? If we're not facing persecutions of any kind and we're just making friends with all the unbelievers in our lives and going out and having fun with them and being at peace as if that's okay and as if we can just do this for the rest of our lives without facing any kind of confrontation about who Jesus is, then we're truly maintaining peace for the wrong reasons. You see, Jesus brought us peace. However, the path to peace is through persecution. Jesus himself underwent persecution. Jesus came and lived his life on earth. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He shouldn't have been persecuted. shouldn't have to be going through all the things that he's going through. However, he was nailed to the cross. He was persecuted. He was hated. He made plenty of people upset. But through that persecution, Jesus paid for the penalty of our sins. Through that persecution, he rescued us and restored us back to God. He blessed us with eternal life. So today is calling each one of us to also partake in the process which he partook in, which is to face persecution, welcome it if it comes. Because God may be saving the lives of your persecutors. You never know through your persecution. God may bring others to him 
through your persecution. If you welcome it, certainly God may use it for that as others see your confidence and courage in the midst of that persecution. You see, we suffer persecution not because we look for persecution. We're not looking for persecution. We're just simply faithfully representing God and who He is. We're continually living our lives as peacemakers. We're telling others about Jesus. We want others to know God and make peace with God. So we live our lives with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, love, self-control, gentleness. We're not going to offend others simply because we're just going to offend others. We're not sticking signs out in the front yard and calling people names and trying to offend others and being obnoxious. That's not what we're doing. That's not. We're not just inviting persecution. We're just living out our faithful representation, representation of Jesus. We're just faithfully representing others. We're not obnoxious. Do not be obnoxious to others. That's not persecution. That is just you being obnoxious. However, as we live out our characteristics of kingdom citizens and telling others about Jesus so that they may have peace, we simply cannot control how other people are going to respond, right? Others are going to respond in obedience. Many people are going to respond in persecution. Now, in many parts of this world which we live in, persecution is the threatening of our lives. If you go to the Middle East, if you go to some parts of Africa or Indonesia, you tell people about Jesus, your life is going to be threatened. Your family's life is going to be threatened. Your church might be threatened. People might come in and bomb your church. And they might kill you. However, here in America, it's a little different. Persecution comes in a different way. Here in America, persecution comes mostly from broken relationships. You tell your family about Jesus, they don't want nothing to do with you. You tell your friends about Jesus, they don't want nothing to do with you. Isolate you. They say, don't talk to me. And certainly that hurts, right? It hurts our lives. It hurts our hearts. However, either way, whether persecution comes in the threatening of your life or threatening of the broken relationship, we know that we're following God's process. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to faithfully represent Jesus. And Jesus says here in John chapter 15, verse 20, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. So whenever we undergo persecution from the broken relationships that we have in our lives for preaching the gospel, we then encourage one another and say, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. You're standing up for Jesus. You can't talk to your mom anymore because she doesn't believe in Jesus. She tells you to stay away from her. That's okay. We're family together. You can't talk to your daughter anymore, your son anymore, because they don't want to trust in God. That's okay. You have a family here. We love you. We're standing with you. We're standing with you. And certainly we encourage one another with these words in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, 28, where Jesus says, and he said this, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who hurt, curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. We love those who hurt us. Praying for them. Asking them again and again if we can have a restored relationship with them, but on the basis of the fact that if they will also come to know Jesus as we do. We love our persecutors. Persecution is going to come. However they come, we're going to trust in God in the process because God can use persecution to bring people to Him, so we welcome it. Sometimes that is just the way. Avoiding persecution means that maybe your friend, your family will never come to be saved. But if you embrace persecution and just allow it to happen, perhaps 
They're going to see how you respond in the persecution. And God's going to use your story and your courage and your faithfulness to bring others to Him. See, God is calling us to belong to His kingdom. God is calling us to be faithfully representing Him, so therefore we're the peacemakers. But God is also calling us to belong to the kingdom in the fact that if we faithfully represent Him, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. See, oftentimes we don't realize that it is through persecution that oftentimes we make peace in this world. It is through persecution that peace is brought about. You know, much like my experience with my friend at UCLA in grad school who was Jewish and rejected me. While I was younger, I spent a summer in Ojai, California looking at the stars. I was going to a camp at the time. I was uh, doing some astronomy with uh, some, some other students. I was room, the same room as a Jehovah's Witness at the time. His name was Oscar. Him and I, we kind of come together and say, oh, you're believing, uh, the, you have a Bible. You see, see me doing my devotion every night. I have a Bible with you. Great. Let's talk about this. So yeah, let's talk about this. I believe that Jesus is God. I said, no, Jesus is not God. He's not God. I, he just recently came, he became a Jehovah's Witness. I showed him from Scripture, Hebrews and different passages that Jesus is God. This Jesus is God. He became real mad at me. Really mad. He's my roommate. Didn't talk, me, talk to me the whole camp. Real upset at me. You know what happened? A year later, I met him again on UCLA campus in one of the residential halls. It turns out that he was going to UCLA as well. And when I met him, I remember by the elevator door, he told me, that, hey, Richard, it's like, hey, what are you doing here? That's all I go, it's like, hey, how's it going? He's like, hey, I want to tell you something. I'm no longer Jehovah's Witness. I no longer follow their doctrine. God's been working on my heart. It's been a journey in my life. And other people have been coming to me and telling me the truth. I no longer follow their doctrine. I, I ran away from them. But you know what? That journey began with our conversation there on that camp where you were really upset at me. Or I was really upset. Or he was really upset at me. I, I don't know. We were just that heated debate that happened. See, I can only praise God for what God did in this person's life that I can serve to be a part of his journey to God. See, I learned that some, everybody takes their journey in their own way. And certainly, I don't determine what kind of journey that they're going to take. But I do know that persecution does come as part of that journey. And certainly, we see the life of Saul, who later call, called Apostle Paul. His journey was, that, was as such. When he approved the stoning of Stephen, the deacon of the Church of Jerusalem. And he later on became the apostle to the Gentiles. You see, we share the gospel of peace even facing persecution as they come, however they may come. We welcome it if they do come. If they don't, that's okay. But if they do come, we welcome it as a process of God because we desire that when we go to heaven, we want to see the faces of our persecutors. Who knows, God may be saving your persecutors even when you pass away from this world. You never know. They may look at you and they may look at your courage. They may look at your faithfulness and remember the gospel through you. And I pray that many, many, through our persecutions, may be drawn to Jesus because of us, that we worship in love with our persecutors, that one day in heaven, may all glory go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message, and thank you for the 
fitting message of the Beatitudes when I know that many of us today are facing persecutions in a sense that many of our family members and um, our believers and they don't want to hear the gospel from us and they might even isolate themselves from us even more if we tell them the, about the gospel if I pray father that we never shrink down we always represent you we always tell people about you Lord in love Lord not in an obnoxious way but in love and Lord only do so because we want you to be glorified we want you to be honored and most of all because we love them we love the people around us we want them to have peace with God we pray father that our lives create peace that many people come to know Jesus through us in Jesus name we pray Amen.